This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to Late Boomers. Today, we are thrilled to have as our guest, Emmy-nominated and ASCAP award-winning TV and film composer, Michael Skloff, who is best known for composing the theme song, I'll Be There For You, from the iconic TV series, Friends. The song has been streamed more than 20 million times in the UK alone, and is equally popular worldwide. And I'm Mary Elkins. Michael also wrote the theme song for the TV series Dream On. And most recently, he and his son, Sam K.S., were co-composers for the popular Netflix series Grace and Frankie. Michael has also composed music for the stage, worship, concert halls, and musical theater. And he created the vocal arrangements for Randy Newman's songs in the Disney film James and the Giant Peach, and so much more. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. We would love to hear about your background and how you found yourself to be on your musical career path. Like, did you have mentors or people who influenced you while you were growing up and musicians you admired? Uh, Yeah, well, starting from earliest childhood, um, my grandmother was a self-taught pianist, songwriter, and singer. And um, she had a big influence on me. In fact, uh, we weren't able to afford a piano growing up. And so the only chance I had to play the piano was when we visited her. And she would play for all of us. And then she would hold me on her lap and play the piano. And she was my first and maybe most important mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, you know, in the school years, uh, I had wonderful music teachers in, in public school who had a big influence on me. Um, and I just, I just always had an affinity to music. I always loved playing the piano and making music and singing. And, um, and that took me up through going to college and getting a bachelor's degree in fine arts in music composition. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then a couple of decades later, getting a master's degree from Cal from, I'm sorry, from Cal arts in, Mm -hmm. um, as a performer composer. Oh, so, um, I had wonderful teachers, teachers and mentors along the way, more numerous to, too numerous to mention. And at one point, did the career part of it kick in? Um, pretty early on, when I was a teenager, I, um, I was able to parlay my sight reading abilities at the piano to be an accompanist for auditions and musical theater rehearsals. And I was always involved in musical theater since I was a young kid. Uh, but then I started to be a music director and pianist for musicals when I was a teenager um, and started to be able to make money at that. Um, wow. And mm-hmm. 
in between my years in college, um, I was conducting musicals in a summer music theater festival in Philadelphia, my hometown. That's um, great. So yeah. You, and then from there, after college, I was hired by Opryland. Oh, to, really? Uh, oh. In, in Nashville to uh -huh. lead a country western band. Um, and that was great fun. And it developed my appreciation for country music in a big way. Excellent. You're very eclectic in your taste. And I am. And then I moved to New York and I worked in musical theater. Well, let's about talk about that because I know you're a big fan of musical theater. And I know you've also, as you mentioned, written music for a number of plays and musicals, mm -hmm. some of which made it to off-Broadway and uh, regional theater. Yes. What is it about musical theater that you love? Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I love the way music can, can move you emotionally and teach you something about the story and the characters in a piece of theater. Um, and obviously composers for centuries knew this. Uh, there were likely songs in Shakespeare's plays. There were likely songs in the Greek tragedies even way back then if we could have recorded that. Um, and then of course the classical opera composers going back to the you know 15th century and, and onward from there. Um, there was always music in theater, and I think uh, song was always just an important part of being a human being. Oh, um, so true. Mm -hmm. So um, I just love musical theater, and uh, you know, and there's 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 all kinds of musical theater. There's something for every everyone out there. We'll talk about your own experiences. I know that you met your former wife Marta Kaufman in musical theater, didn't you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact. Um, when we first met, we were we became collaborators along with David Crane, her longtime partner, and the two of them went on to create Friends. Um, but in New York, the three of us were writing musicals, and we were writing material for music reviews in New York City. In Off-Broadway, uh, there was an Off-Broadway musical called A My Name is Alice that had a long run at the Village Gate. Mm. And uh, we submitted some... Uh, several songs for that and I was the, ended up being the music director for that oh. um, there was also an off-Broadway show called Personals that Marta and David had actually originated while they attended Brandeis and mm -hmm. then they and then uh, they brought me in to write some additional material to with that and there were other composers on that some of whom were from Brandeis but then also Stephen Schwartz and Alan mm. Menken, who are both very well known in, <laughs> yeah. in musical theater. Oh so, yes. So we were all working together on that musical, and that was a great, a great privilege. Were there any breakout songs from that that you know, became famous? You know, it's funny. I, uh, no, I think that that culture shifted sometime, perhaps in the '60s or '70s, when pop songs just stopped coming from musicals. I mm. think maybe more recently a show like Hamilton perhaps mm -hmm. came, came close. But even with that, I'm not sure um, if, if any of those songs achieved the same sort of um, notoriety as Yeah, as well nowadays the they're breaking out from the Disney films. The that's films. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Because um, Lin-Manuel had success, like went right to number one from Encanto. Exactly. So that's interesting. Yeah. 
So uh-huh. yes, the, mo- the, the animated musicals sort of became more of a source for those kinds of things and not so yeah. much the Broadway stage. Um, but I, I would love to be proven wrong. I, I mean, I, I'm certainly not an expert on this and, uh, and maybe I've missed something that had become a big hit. Yeah, that's so that's so exciting. You got to work with all those people so early yeah. on in their careers. Awesome. I mean, very formative for me. Um, mm-hmm. And just such a privilege to work around such talented people and, and to collaborate with such talented people. I was just incredibly lucky to have to have uh, crossed paths with Marta Kaufman and David Crane. And then, you know, and then Marta and I, of course, were married and had three have three wonderful children. And and we have a grandson together now and mm-hmm. another one on the way. And, oh. you know, it's uh, great. It was, it was really a, just a wonderful, a, a wonderful um, stroke of luck and, and wonderful fate to have been associated with her. And now I have a question for you that really sounds like the setup for a joke. <laughs> How did you find your way to Hollywood? Um, you know, it's funny. So. A life in musical theater, I don't think you can really make a living necessarily in musical theater. Mm-hmm. You can just make a killing. <laughs> and we hadn't quite made our killing. And so we were struggling from show to show. We did okay. We were able to pay the rent while, as long as we had a show on the boards. Mm-hmm. But, but in between, you know, I was, I was playing for people's cabaret acts. I was playing in piano bars. I was just trying to keep us, keep us afloat. Um, and so then... During this period, um, and our daughter was already born in New York, um, Marta and David were uh, getting some attention from producers and creative types in Hollywood. And so we were flying back and forth from coast to coast almost once a month Hmm. um, for about a year there until finally uh, an offer came in that was too good to turn down. Um, Norman, mm. Norman Lear had offered them to work for them, work for him to develop new material for TV shows for him, for his production wow. company. And he was offering to fly us out, pay all of our expenses to move. And we just couldn't say no. It was too good to be true. None of us had ever pictured moving to the West Coast. We were all such East Coast people. In fact, the, the interesting coincidence is, is that Marta, David, and I are all originally from Philadelphia. Oh, but we met in New York City doing musicals. Um, uh, we never pictured ourselves coming to Hollywood, but we just couldn't turn this down. It was very exciting, and it was an opportunity to have a, a quality of life that we definitely were not experiencing in New York. And that yeah, was and how did friends, how did friends come about then? Was it a lot later? Yeah, well, Friends was definitely later. The, the first show that came about, and actually we were still living in New York when Marta and David wrote the pilot for the show Dream On, which oh, ultimately okay. was picked up by HBO and, we, and Universal. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first show they produced out here, hmm. along with another producer named Kevin Bright. Oh, yeah. And so that show was very successful, and it ran for several years. And it was before that show ended that they were hired by um, Warner Brothers TV, which at the time was Viacom, mm-hmm. um, to develop new shows for them. And after about a year or two, uh, one of the shows that they had developed was Friends, became Friends. It was first called Six of One. Six of One. <laughs> then it was called, then, it, then they shot the pilot and they named that Friends Like Us. Ah. Mm-hmm. 
and then it was just shortened to friends. I love that. Much catchier. And <laughs> what about Grace and Frankie and the other the other shows? Um, well, Grace and Frankie came significantly significantly yeah, much later because uh, Friends ended in two thousand four, and Grace and Frankie started in twenty fourteen. I yeah. believe, yeah. So about ten years later. Um, yeah, I think and- it's the longest running show on Netflix now. It is. It's the longest running series on Netflix. It just Netflix. kills me they didn't renew it again. I love that show. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so much. But you're in yeah. the final episode, aren't you, Michael? I'm, I do. I make an appearance in the final episode as a, uh, and, as, a as a pianist in the lobby of a hotel for Saul and Robert. <laughs> and Dolly Parton time. has that wonderful cameo. Yes. In the last that, episode. That's that was really so cute. But that show was just a terrific, terrific experience for me. Um, mm-hmm. Got to write the score with my son, who is also uh, a professional musician, uh, primarily working as a drummer, but he's also a composer. Um, he's currently on tour, actually, with uh, a wonderful artist named Angel Olsen. Mm-hmm. And um, how old he and is I, he? He and I scored it. How old is he? He's yeah. uh, 31. Oh, nice. He's got a good start on his career already, right? Start. Yeah, he's doing great. And Grace and Frankie was actually created by Marta and um, my daughter, Hannah. And she's oh, really? A, she's a producer and production executive in Marta's company. Mm, beautiful. So it's really, uh, it's really kind of a family affair. It's really, it's really amazing. Um, the only one who's not in the show affiliated is uh, my youngest daughter, Rose, who is a professional horse trainer. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So she somehow escaped show business. I'm not sure how. Well, but I know Marta has horses. Marta loves horses. Marta yeah. loves horses, and that passion definitely rubbed off on Rose. And she is incredibly passionate about horses, and she works full-time at the L.A. Equestrian Center. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. I, I, I've always had horses, and I was fortunate enough to – be called in for a producer's meeting. I'm an actor for uh, Grace and Frankie for one of the seasons. And when I was meeting with Marta, we talked horses. And oh the pe- other people in the room were like, what are they talking about? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, you it was really, really tapped, lovely. You really, really tapped lovely. into something I lost the special to, there. I lost yeah. the role to Mindy Sterling, but that's okay. Oh. Mindy's uh, great, too. Well, <laughs> hopefully, you'll, hopefully you'll run into Marta on horseback sometime. I know. My horse is a long way from there, though. He's in a oh. different place. Oh, okay. But yeah. 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 Well, let's, let's talk about to the story behind your composing the music for Friends and the theme song, I'll Be There For You. Oh, okay. Talk, talk about how that came about. I know it's been covered by several other musicians as well, including Megan Trainer and, and others. Yeah. Yeah, no, that show has, I mean, that song has, and, and the show for that matter, has been a, an incredible blessing. Um, it's, uh, when, I, when I read the script, before they even cast the show, um, I just loved it right away. I just knew I was reading something very special. And I had read all the other scripts that Marta and David had written, and they're all wonderful. But this one really had something special. And, and Friends was really inspired by our earliest experiences moving to New York City oh, as, mm-hmm. as young 20-somethings in which, and, and Marta often describes this uh, as when you're, that time in your life when your friends are your family. 
because you've mm -hmm. moved away and you really kind of create your new home. Um, and that's pretty much, that's very much what that show is about. And yeah. so I read the script and I was just, this is so great. It's so funny. And there's something so warm about it too. And I immediately came up with the phrase, I'll be there for you, because that's, that's just what it means to be a friend. You know, that kind of what it boils down to. Um, and I'll never forget, I, um, I didn't know what the feel of the show, of the song should be, but I knew it needed to really be fun. It needed to make people really feel good. And um, I happened to need to get into the car and go pick up my, my son at the time who was in preschool. And the radio, mm. I turned on the radio and the Beatles song, Paperback Writer came on. And I immediately went, oh my God, that's it. That's the feeling. That's what, mm -hmm. I'm, that's what I'm gonna try to capture. And so from that point on, I was in pursuit of that kind of Beatles slash the monkeys kind mm -hmm. of fun, bright and sunny Saturday morning cartoon kind of feeling, you know, like just mm -hmm. feel good. And, um, and uh, somehow I was led to writing that music. That's it just came to you. It just, you know, it just came to me, although it was a process. I mean, there were, there were several versions of the song. Um, there was originally kind of like a, a trippy psychedelic kind of feeling version. Um, <laughs> that still had the phrase, I'll be there for you. Um, and then the producers, um, they continued to work with Kevin Bright, the one that they met on Dream On. Um, he, he was the third producer on, on Friends. And um, he, was, he was very instrumental in um, sort of guiding the, the direction that the song was going to go. And um, he kept having me try different versions. I did, a, I did a version that felt like a little more like David Bowie, what David Bowie might do, another version that sounded a little more like what Stevie Wonder might do. Um, and, and part of that, I, I was at an advantage coming from musical theater that I could sort of shape shift a little bit and try to and, and write in different styles. And so, um, but then we really ended up with this kind of more beatly kind of feeling for the, uh, for the you weren't in bad song. company. Mm hmm. Right. right. I thought that's a great idea. Great there inspiration. Is a, there is a funny story about the hand claps in the song, if you're interested in knowing. About yeah. That. Mm hmm. Um, so I submitted the demo of the song, the final demo, which was just, uh, I had hired uh, a buddy of mine to play guitar and help me produce this recording. And he played guitar and bass and I played organ and, uh, and we had synthetic drums. We didn't use a real drummer on the demo. And in this one spot, um, there was a drum fill that just was like, do, 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 like that. And unbeknownst to me, the producers of the show were cutting the main title uh, visual sequence to my demo. So then we, we go to the point where we've hired the Rembrandts to record the song. We're in the studio. We make the song with the Rembrandts. It sounds incredible. I was just, there couldn't have been a better group to, to perform this song. They just had the perfect sound to it for this. And um, we hand the song in and and Kevin goes, where's, where's that drum fill? I said, well, we had a real live drummer, so he didn't play it exactly like the electronic drums. And he said, well, I need that fill because I've cut the visuals bah, 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 to that fill. 
And now it doesn't exist. And now those visuals won't look correct. So we go back to the studio the next day. The band is gone. There's no musicians around. It's just me and, and the engineer, Carrie Butler, and, uh, and some production assistants and a, another producer on the show. And Carrie says, why don't we try hand claps? I mean, we have to put something in there that punctuates those four hits. So it was just me and this producer and another production assistant. And we just stood around a microphone and did the four claps. Then <laughs> you did it yourself. We did it ourselves. And well, then, that's very Beatlesque. It is. Beatles did <laughs> so, that a lot. <laughs> so then cut to uh, a couple weeks later, the show has been on the air now for a couple weeks and we're always filming in front of a live audience. And it's a typical Friday night when we're filming. And there's like 500 people in the audience or, or something like that. And they're introducing the cast and the cast comes out and they introduce their names and the crowd goes wild. And as they're introducing the cast in the background, they're playing the Friends theme song that we just delivered. And at the point where the hand claps come in, suddenly the entire audience does the four hand claps. Whoa. And I stand there in disbelief and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. That's when I realized we had lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you even know it would be such an incredible hit? There's just no way of knowing. There's just no way of knowing. All you do is you create something and you please yourself and you please the producers that you're trying to deliver a good product to. And you just hope that it's good because you believe it's good. But you have no control. You have no idea how the audience is going to take it. And to have that experience of like, oh, my God, they're really listening to this song and they're enjoying it hmm. and now so and now it's a and now it's an audience participation song mm-hmm. you know? what could be better than that when amazing. you've got a live audience it was incredible it was i would just... love to hear a little bit about the business of composing for television and films how difficult is it for people to get to work in the business what would your advice be to young musicians who want to yeah. get into it you know it's it's tough i mean you you definitely have to have, you definitely have to be tenacious. You have to um, really want it badly because you have to be able to take a lot of rejection um, mm-hmm. and not be dissuaded by that. Um, so that's, that's just sort of at the core. Like, like the idea of quitting is just not even in the <laughs> equation at all. Mm-hmm. can't possibly be. Um, and then in terms of getting the work, you have to have, you have to have some ability. You have to have some creative juice, something, you know, um, and you have to be able to work with people and, and take feedback so you can more readily deliver what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's not necessarily easy for all people. Um, and what it also comes down to is relationships. Yeah. Um, and I can only speak from my own experience, but I was really lucky to have had that early relationship with Marta and David. And at the time, Marta, of course, was my wife. And uh, and every time they did, they created something for television or theater. They came to me to write the music. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was the case here. So I was really kind of built in. Now, fortunately for the other people that worked on the show, they were okay with it, and and the end result worked out okay because people seemed pleased with the music that I was able to provide. 
And and um, you were able to have a, a shorthand with her to know what she wanted in the music. I think that's true. Um, and also there was a level of comfort because we know each mm-hmm. other so well and, and knew each other so well then. And, had, and David and Marta and I had worked so closely together for so long by that point. Um, yeah, it's those networks you form when you're young that are so vital. They're so vital. And so a lot see, of people coming out of maybe music school or something may may have those networks that maybe they yeah. need to use. But that's it's so strong that you had that network. It it is it is, and it's it's really it's really important to to nurture that network. It does take nurturing, um, and yeah. to and to uh, really develop those relationships and and to develop new relationships. And, but because the trust is what is ultimately required to be hired. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. You know, I mean, look at that long relationship between Steven Spielberg and John Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that's not uncommon. You know, directors often will go back and back to the same composer a lot. Those relationships are really important. And yeah, um, Franklin Schaffner and Jerry Goldsmith. Sure. Every picture was Jerry Goldsmith yeah, that he did. Incredible. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and Jerry Goldsmith, you know, and John Williams obviously have worked for, with other directors as well and can do an mm-hmm. amazing thing with almost anyone's project, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's always there's always chemistry involved as well. I mean sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes the chemistry's not right and some of the most amazing film score composers will also get fired from a film. Um, because it just they thought he they would be the right fit and it turned out they were not. Um, so that happens as well, and that's just part of the business. Yeah. Um, but again, you just have to love what you're doing and work hard at it and um, and really take those relationships seriously and nurture them. Yeah, and that really applies to any business as well. Hmm. Um, I um, I have a, a, an, a different type of question for you. Yeah. Um, it's completely on a different path. But um, you wrote a musical version to the Hebrew prayer, Kedusha, that Mm -hmm. is now sung in synagogues across the country. Did its popularity surprise you? Yes. Um, It was was almost uh, a a different version of my experience with the Friends theme song. Um, But this was in a much more... Uh, lim- limited way in some in some sense because uh, it's limited to um, synagogues around the country and, and North America because I think it's also um, there's some synagogues in Canada that might also be doing oh. it. But um, it was incredible. My uh, my dear old friend uh, Donnie Mossing, not that he's old, but he's an old friend. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I dedicated it to him, and he recorded it and posted a video of his recording on, on YouTube. And he has, uh, he's very well renowned as a composer, songwriter and performer, and as a, uh, as a spiritual leader. And so cantors from all over the country would see this video of him and suddenly I'm getting communications like, where can I find the music to this? Hmm. And it just sort of it just sort of caught fire that way, and uh, and now it's it's sung all over the place, which is just incredible and, and just an incredible feeling. Would you play and sing a couple of bars of it for our listeners? Sure, sure. I'll sing a little piece from the middle of this piece. 
Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzivahot, Menoch Ol Ha'aretz, Kivodah. Oh, beautiful. Oh, bravo. I love that. Thanks. It just has a haunting, wonderful sound. And I wanted to ask you, you've been the musical director also for a number of shows and for performers. Yeah. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? What was that like? Um, well, that's it's funny. Uh, I started doing that when I first came to New York uh, at, the, at 22 years old. I, uh, I started working uh, to a large part, um, thankfully, to an important mentor of mine named Danny Holgate, who was very well known um, on Broadway as the uh, arranger and orchestrator for uh, a number of shows, including Bubbling Brown Sugar, Mm -hmm. um, a show called Yubi. Um, There was a revival, an all African-American revival of Guys and Dolls, among many other shows. And he took me under his wing and introduced me to cabaret singers. And I started just being the pianist and music director for all these different cabaret singers and playing all over Manhattan from, from clubs in the village all the way up through uh, Harlem. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. And then from there, um, I met, just through networking, I suppose, um, met uh, several singers that went on to have notoriety on their own. Um, I was for a while a music director for Jennifer Lewis, who just got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, she's uh, maybe more wa- most widely known as the uh, in the role of the grandmother on the the series Blackish. Oh, yeah, she's extremely very funny. cool. She's an amazing performer and uh, and very funny and a great singer. Um, and I toured with her quite a bit. And we did. Oh, a show. you must have good road road trip uh, <laughs> stories stories yeah. with all your people. Yes, yeah, that was really fun. Um, and, the, and we had a show and, we, and we, we developed it out here and then brought it to the public theater in New York, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, somebody else that I had a longstanding relationship with, I still do, he's still a friend, is Jason Alexander, who was on Seinfeld. Um, and I, I served as music director for him, performed with him for a while. We toured around. We performed with the Boston Pops. Wow. We mm. performed on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. We performed on the Jerry Lewis Telethon. Um, and I would, uh, nice. I would be his music director, pianist uh, for that. So these were wonderful experiences for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, getting back to friends and I'll be there for you. I understand that you've created a completely different version to the song. Yes. And I, I'd like to know what inspired you to do that. Well, so as, as you all know, um, the world really changed in a significant way in March of 2020 when we were all uh, subject to a lockdown and and because of COVID dealing, because of COVID and dealing with a world that was really frightening and not knowing you know how much of an existential threat this really was um, and we've all known people who were sick many of us were sick ourselves I I personally have had COVID. 
Um, and some people didn't come out of it so well as I did. And um, during the time, soon after that lockdown, um, I was really struck by the uh, first responders or those, uh, I forget how you would say it, but the people who had to continue to show up to work, the hospital <laughs> workers, um, food service professionals, all these people who just needed, aside from needing to make a living, they actually put themselves in harm's way to help other people and to really be there for people. And suddenly the term, I'll be there for you, took on a brand new meaning to me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it deepened so much in terms of how we really do all need each other, um, even especially when times are hard. But we have to remember, I'm trying to remember that we need each other even when we think things are not so dire. Um, so I yeah. think it, it just, uh, it really changed things for me. Yeah. Um, would you be so kind as to play from it? I'd be happy to. Thank you. And sing. Thank you. Oh, 
Thank you. That is gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Thank I you. would applaud, but I couldn't Thank figure you. out where to put the four hand claps in. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. But I want to ask you, what are your goals now? I understand you're writing lyrics as well as music. That is and right. And performing solo in venues across the country. That is right. I am so excited to be on this new path. I um, Up until recent years, I really didn't have much confidence in myself as a lyricist. And collaborations have just not felt satisfying to me to the point that I felt like I could really put anything out that I felt that strongly about. So I went on a training program with the help of a coach and uh, books and reading about songwriters and going through exercises and practicing lyric writing. Um, and uh, I'm very pleased with some of the new material that I'm coming up with. I did a show recently at an art gallery here in Los Angeles, and uh, it was very well received. I was really um, incredibly pleased and, and privileged to do that. And as a result, I'm getting asked to uh, appear in other places and do you know a song or two here and there for different fundraisers and things like that. And I'm interested in, in performing to raise funds for good causes as well. Hmm. Great. Yeah. I, you said that you had to get the confidence in order to write the lyrics, and yet you had to have the confidence to write music. What's the difference there? I think it's. I think we all perhaps have certain beliefs about ourselves, what we can and can't do, and we unfortunately don't tread too far outside of those boundaries. Um, and for some reason, I just um, I've been telling that story about myself that I'm not a lyricist, and now I'm telling a different story, and that feels really liberating. Ah, uh, that is so liberating. Perfect. I love to hear that. Cause you, but, and you talked a little bit about using your songs and your live performances now to raise funds yeah. for charitable causes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I noticed on your Instagram, you've got some things on there. Uh, yeah, I am um, performing. I was asked to uh, perform on a bill with a bunch of other wonderful performers to raise money for Project Angel Food, mm. which uh, is a wonderful organization here in Southern California that provides, gosh, thousands of meals per day to, um, well, originally set up for people who were um, suffering with HIV and AIDS, uh, and now over the years has grown to include most, most recently people suffering from COVID. Mm. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it probably resembles Meals on Wheels in some ways, but it, but it seems to be much more compassionate than that. And it really helps a lot of people who are shut in and uh, whether they're permanently or temporarily shut in. Um, hmm. So it's, it's a great, uh, great organization. What are you doing for that? What kind of uh, venues are you singing in? And Oh, that would be... Um... That particular show will be at Catalina Bar, um, Catalina's Jazz Club here in, in Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, what about, nice. are you working with choirs or um, different, creating plays to raise money as well? Um, no, none of that right now. Um, I have worked with choirs uh, before. Um, and a lot of times I've worked with choirs for events. Uh, I've done events in honor of Martin Luther King Day, where I've put together choirs and uh, uh, a lot of uh, different musicians, music groups, and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, 
that's more in celebration of a holiday than it is for a, for an actual mm-hmm. fundraiser. Although I love the fact that it is community building. Um, and I do a lot with an organization called Big Sunday, which is all about community building and connecting people. And I've done music for them as well, working with a choir. Uh-huh. Um, did a big arrangement and we made a big music video for that. Uh, that may be on my website, um, video from that. And uh, yeah, I just love, I just love that. I love, I love the, f- I think the thing about writing and performing music in particular is what it does for me in terms of feeling connected to people. When I feel like someone enjoys what I'm doing and, and it perhaps is even moved by what I'm doing, there couldn't be any greater gift for me. Mm. Beautiful. That's, that's a perfect uh, way to leave our podcast. Um, our guest today on Late Boomers has been TV, film, musical theater, liturgical composer, and now lyricist, Michael <laughs> Skloff, best known for his song from Friends, I'll Be There For You. You can find Michael on Instagram and on his website, michaelskloff.com, and you can listen to some of his songs on YouTube. Thank you so much, Michael. My pleasure. But before we go, would you take us out by singing your old version of I'll Be There For You? I'd be happy to. So no one told you life was gonna be this way Your job's a joke, you're broke, you love life's DOA It's like you're always stuck in second gear Well, it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year But I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour Thank you so much and we'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on instagram also at i am kathy worthington and at i am mary elkins and at late boomers please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and write any comments you have to us on our website lateboomers.biz b-i-z and thanks so much again michael my pleasure it was such a privilege and so much fun to be with you guys Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? 
Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.